Hey folks, it's Jeff here. Just wanted to say a big hello to all of you who are part of our online podcast community. You need to know that though we may not see you on Sundays, you are such a valuable and cherished part of our community, as much as any in-person community. I'm, I'm guessing that you're tuning in because you're finding value in what we're doing in our weekly Sunday messages and Maybe you're cultivating a spirituality that you're finding is inspiring you and equipping you to take water to your world. That right there would be exactly what we're hoping is happening for you. Look, over the past month, we've been asking our in-person community to consider making a one-time donation before the end of the year. The truth is our projected general donations were lower than expected this year. We've kept our expectations expenses below budget, but we're forecasting a shortfall by the end of the year. So we're hoping right now to be able to raise enough money before year end to erase the loss. And I'm wondering if you would consider helping us as well. Honestly, any amount would be greatly appreciated. All you'd have to do is go to friendschurch.ca forward slash donate and give to our general fund. That would be so appreciated. You know, I've noticed as some people have gone and done this, they've been signing up as well for pre-authorized giving, which is just an automated form of donating, usually on a monthly basis. Rather than just giving a one-time amount, they kind of commit over a longer term. This is huge for us as a community just because it helps us more accurately predict our income for the coming year as we set our budgets. Yeah, we're in budget season right now. And we don't want to have to keep coming back year after year at the end of the year to clean this up. So that's why I'm reaching out. Whether you can give a one-time or you can sign up monthly, maybe you're listening to this and you can't afford to do anything right now. I just want you to know that we care about you. We're thrilled that the Ministry of Friends Church is helping you in some way. Maybe it's helping loved ones of yours too. I don't know. But regardless of whether you can support us financially right now or not, you just need to know we're grateful. We're grateful for you. So, hey, enjoy today's message. Look, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're uh, jumping into, well, no, we've been in the middle of a series called Disagreeing Beautifully. We're recognizing that conversations are dying on the vine, uh, ending intention. Some, some are leading to estrangement. Some people are walking away resentful because uh, somewhere in a conversation around something delicate or something that's controversial or something that has strong opinions, different opinions, things break down. People are unable to hear or understand what the person across from them is saying. And before they can get to the point where they you know, the magic happens, it's like it ends. And we're watching a lot of that. And we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could work on our ability to stay at the table, to listen through the differences, to see the story and the people. You know, often these topics we've been covering, it, it, you, it's easy to have a strong opinion on them. It's easy to have lots of different ideas about what you believe. But when you greet someone who has a story and experience a different perspective, it's amazing how sometimes our views 
our opinions kind of get shaved down a bit or softened. How quickly you can lean in and go, whoa, I hadn't considered that. This morning, I want to invite you again to open your mind and your heart to hear some stories, opinions, perspectives you may not even hold. And I'm hoping in the process you'll cultivate your curiosity and your empathy to wrestle with a topic that, though it may not have touched your home yet, I'm betting it's coming. In 2016, Parliament passed a law allowing adults to obtain medical assistance in dying if they had a grievous and irremediable medical condition and their death was reasonably foreseeable. That was 2016. In other words, those diagnosed with an incurable illness, disease, or disability that caused unbearable mental or physical suffering could qualify to have someone assist them in dying. They called this program MADE, Medical Assistance in Dying. It's controversial because it's so permanent. It's a program designed to end people's lives who are suffering. But it gives them the control to decide when. When you start looking at the different scenarios that could reach out for MAID, it can kind of make you go, oh. You know, like how old should a person have to be to qualify for MAID? To make a decision that's that big. You see, this isn't just for the elderly. They're contemplating, could a child, how old would a child be able to request this? How close to death should one have to be? Should a person be allowed to sign up for a date in the future? Knowing they have some kind of unconquerable illness? And how much pain and suffering should a person have to be in to be allowed? And what kind of pain qualifies? What if a person could technically recover from their condition? Should we allow it then? These, these, are, these are complex decisions that they're wrestling with right now. And, uh, you know, I can have lots of opinions, but boy, until you get up close to it and you begin to hear the stories of people, then it's like, oh, oh, I hadn't considered that. This morning I invited Marco. You've probably seen Marco at the back running sound often. How long have you been running sound for us, uh, Marco? Almost 20 years now. 20 years? Wow. <laughs> Man, you can run this NASA space shuttle right now, hey? Well done. Marco, actually, yeah. We appreciate all you do on that front. I love now. doing it too, still. Well, it's great to have you up on stage this morning. First time? Yeah, this, I was kind of shocked. <laughs> we told different parts of your story in the past, not necessarily this story. No. But other parts. Well, I, I invited Marco to join me this morning because he was front row um, as a son when his dad died from a program like MADE in the Netherlands. Yep, correct. I asked him to share a story this morning with us. And uh, I'm just wondering, Marco, maybe we could just begin with you giving us a little bit of background on your dad. Yep. Tell us a little bit about him and then 
kind of the illness that moved in. Yeah, my father, um, he was about 73 when he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, stage four, and immediately he contacted us and came over to Canada right away, wanted to see us right away, because in his mind this was it, right? Like it was the end for him. Um, so this was 2014. Um, and in his mind was this was uncurable, right? He did not want to suffer, didn't want to think about any of these, you know, end-of-life items that he would have to go through with stage four cancer right away, he had esophageal cancer. History for that was my dad, in, in, when he, in the 1970s when we were a kid, he had a fractured diaphragm and they had one fix for it, but you know the chances were 10% to get it fixed or 90% chance that he would have to drink his food the rest of his life. So he chose the 10% and that was my dad. He would take those type of risks and it's, it made him healthy again. Well, healthy, but he could eat normal again. 20, what's it, 30, 40 years later, that particular surgery turned out where his cancer in his esophagus ended up, right? And it was a known fact that this actually could happen, but they missed it for two, three years in the diagnosis. So by the time they found it, it had spread to his lungs. It was pretty much everywhere. So... In 2014, the diagnosis was he was going to likely die um, sooner than later. Um, and initially, his thought was, I don't want to do this. You know, I want to go and do not want to live anymore. Um, then he changed his mind and decided to go through all of the treatments. He did chemo, he did radiation, he, did, he had a surgery done back in 2015 uh, where they put a piece, like a stent, right in the place where his cancer was growing. And I, I remember that time because I happened to be in Los Angeles for a conference. I was on the phone with him and he was struggling. He was suffering tremendously. So um, we decided to go to back home for Christmas just to spend that Christmas because we figured it was going to be the last one. And right during that time, I'd never seen my father in as much pain as I'd ever seen him, right? He would eat, I think he ate a raspberry and he had to excuse himself in tears because he was in so much pain. At the end of that trip, all of a sudden we're out in a restaurant, he's eating like normal and the pain was gone. So we started to see, oh, maybe there's some improvement still that could happen. So that was really an interesting difference to see, okay, he can still do things and get better, potentially, right? That was the thought. Then we went back home to Canada. My dad lived in the Netherlands. And um, in, in, I think, about February or March, my dad, the way he was, they ended up going to an amusement park with his other grandkids from the Netherlands. So he, he was like fully functional otherwise? He was fully functional. You could see that he was degrading. Uh -huh. Like you could see he was getting thinner, right? Like you could see his muscle mass was starting to go. But he was functioning. My dad was the kind of person who really wanted to do things, right? Like he was really handy. You know, he'd, he'd built a, a full gazebo in our backyard. He'd built a whole new chapel on top of their house. He'd paint all of the family's houses. You know, he was retired a long time already, and he just loved to be of service with his hands. He loved working with his hands, but, you know, he could see he was getting weaker. Mm -hmm. And then the, at the, the, the story for this amusement park is my dad would just do, you know, he would not hold back, right? His, if he could do something, he still wanted to do it. So he went on a roller coaster and it dislodged the stent in his, in, on his esophagus. 
So they had to pull it out and they had to reinstall another one. And the pain of that one was so tremendous for him again that at that point he made the decision, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm done now. How long after that actual event at that amusement park? Within two months. It was about two months. Yeah. So I think they went in March and in May he had made the decision, I want to go and... How, how did you hear that? Uh, we were in conversation quite a bit, um, but essentially... He told me, yes, I'm going, I've made the appointment with the doctor, so I arranged my flight, flew in right away, and I arrived, I think, the day that he had the meeting with the doctor to make the final decision. So, so we ended up going to the doctor as it was my mom, my sister, my dad, and then myself. We went to the doctor where he wanted to have that final discussion with the doctor to say, I want this to be finalized. Did you as a family, your mom, your sister, and you talk about... The decision of really not much all. really that it was we all knew it because he already said it two years before and he's pretty much talked his whole life like that that i've known him that he did not want to suffer yeah, going into death right he did not want to turn into a person who was in a bed unable to make any decisions for himself so he really wanted to make that decision as a family did we really talk like that no we weren't the kind of family who shared those kind of emotional discussions yeah, in going into this event. Mm-hmm. When you went to that doctor's appointment with them, what, were your, what was your thinking? Do you remember what kind of your feelings about the whole thing were? At that point, I think I was at peace with it. So I'd had two years kind of to work through that. And, and the beautiful thing about this whole experience was is I got to actually work things out with my dad. We knew for two years it was coming, really. Well, we didn't know it was two years at the time. But I, fortunately, through my job, I travel a lot. Mm-hmm. You, you, got, you know that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in, in the Middle East and in South America. And that year, those two years, I had the ability to go home 13 times. Right, where normally I go back to the Netherlands maybe once a year. In two years, I was in the Netherlands 13 times because I had five trips to Saudi, I was in India, and every single time I had the ability to go home, spend a weekend at home, yeah, go do my business trip, come back, spend another weekend at home, and then come home. So we had a lot of time to, to actually dive into some of the things that you know, most people avoid probably and then regret after the person mm-hmm. died. So because we knew it was coming, I had such a great experience of working things out, right? My childhood was not connected, right? My father never told me he was proud of me, right? Until I got that moment to be able to ask him that question. Mm-hmm. So, but did we talk about it as a family? No, it was my dad made a decision and that was it, it was final. Let's talk about the, that you were there yep. when everything ended up yep. being done. So from the time that he went in and told the doctor his wishes to the time where it was actually mm-hmm. taking place, how much time? That was two? about, I'd say that was probably six days, six five, days. six days. Okay. So it was kind of interesting because... We go to the doctor and my dad's there, this is what I want to do. And the doctor, of course, knew about it. He's, he's, he had talked about it with her for a long time already, but this was the moment where he said, yes, this is it, I want to move forward. And his question was, can we do it this afternoon? Wow, wow. <laughs> 
That was his question. And if the doctor looked at it. Did that take it, you by surprise? Like, were you expecting? No, it? I d- oh. did not. It did not take me by surprise because I knew this was my father, right? He made a decision. It needed to happen right now. Hmm. But the doctor looked at him and told him, this also impacts me. Right? I need preparation. I need to take a half a day off. This is not, you know, this is not right. for me like one, two, a robot, one, two, three, sure. I'll take care of this sure. and it's over. So, so she, it was a long weekend that weekend in the Netherlands. And basically, we put it on, I think we were at the doctor on Thursday, on Tuesday is when we set the date. So, the one item that's still a part of this is that a second doctor has to come in and confirm that, yes, this person is end of life, has no potential of recovery, yeah, is suffering, etc. And, you know, my dad was very clear about all this. So, she had the interview with the second doctor, everything was signed up, and then, yeah, we had... So, we had the long weekend to spend together as a whole family, which was actually... Surrealist, surreal yeah. almost, mm-hmm. because, and I talked to my niece this, uh, this week about this, on the Monday, we were playing frisbee with my dad in the yard in front of their house, they had a big grassy patch in front of the house, and we were playing frisbees with the kids, right, so he could still do those kind of things, right, so this was not a person who was in bed, right. suffering tremendously, dying, right. it was a person that could still play frisbees, could still, you know, participate with us, could still have dinners with us. It's, so that was the very odd part about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but he was very certain that he wanted to do. He did not want to die, you know, a, you know, in a bed, suffering with pain, on painkillers, etc. So come Tuesday is the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I can describe it, it's the strangest experience I've ever had. Right to be able to be in a room, right? We and I'll talk maybe a little bit more. But we sent the the grandchildren went actually went away. We the, the the decision was made that we didn't want them to be part of the experience. So my brother-in-law, my wife, and the three grandchildren they all went away, and it was my mom, my sister, my dad, and uh, and uh, and myself. And it's surreal because my dad was sitting in his favorite chair. Mm-hmm. And the doctor at home? at home, yeah. This was done at my mother's place and my mom and my dad's place. And then, essentially, he was sitting in his in his chair. The doctor asked him if he was ready. Mm-hmm. He said yes, and it was done in two three minutes. Hmm. Very surreal, a very strange experience mm-hmm. to be part of it. Yeah, when it happened, and your dad was officially now passed. Did you have different feelings about the whole process? Did, did, did your opinion of it change? Any second-guessing regrets? No, no, and, and, and looking back, I think initially when he started talking about it, I felt angry, right, for a person to make the decision to quit, really, to give up, right? That's what it felt. He was hmm. giving up on life. He was giving up on his family. Because I had two years to work through it, I was at peace with his decision. That's what it felt like to me to be, I I really felt at peace, yes, this is really what he wanted and, you know, okay that he had gone. If you didn't have that much time, do you think it it would be a different story in your mind? Probably. I, I, I don't think I would have had the chance to work out the things that I did. Huh. 
right? So if somebody dies all of a sudden, right, there might be unspoken words, right? I remember specifically writing him a letter mm-hmm. yeah, to go, okay, here, this is, you know, all the things that were missing in my life from my father, right? He never came to my sports games. Mm-hmm. My mother was always there. My dad, he didn't care for about sports, so he never showed up, right? And even though I was badminton champion, I won championship playing volleyball, but he was never there because he just didn't like sports, right? I, you know, I was very successful in school, have two master's degrees. He never told me he was proud of me, right? In any of these moments, because it was like, well... So you talked to him about that? Yes, that was part of my letter, mm-hmm. right? Like, to go, mm-hmm. here's all the things yeah, that, that I that felt it. missing out of the relationship. So we got to talk that out as well. Wow. Wow. So that was, you know, the blessing of the whole thing Mm -hmm. is that we knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. um, Having gone through all that, now looking at your own life and the possibilities, who knows, I mean, right. Would you yourself choose the same way in similar circumstances as your dad that was i know you and i talked about that two weeks ago and and it took me by surprise but right now my answer is actually tending towards no right to i actually, was shocked actually when i, I asked know you that question, I, I was even like, i was as shocked as you were that i actually went no and and the main reason of that for me right now is is the impact that this has on the people around you Right? My dad was a very self-centered person. Right? It was about him. And he, just to give you the example of how self-centered this actually ended up being, is my mother turned 70 four days after he had himself euthanized. So my mother's experience of all her past birthdays since that time are negative because my father said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot wait until, you know, we've gone through the celebration of your 70th birthday. So the impact that that has on people around you, that's the part for me that I am going, of course, you know, I'm not struggling, I'm not suffering, I'm not in pain, right? So right now, but now I look at it, you know, I have my friends, my wife, my daughter, you know, the church, my colleagues, all these people are going to be impacted by that decision. Your sound assignments at the back. I know, I know, you guys are going to miss me here. Is it, could, it, could your dad have done it differently, though, in a way that would have left you thinking differently about even your... Maybe if we would have spent time talking about that particular item, right? Like, his decision, how does that impact everybody around mm-hmm. him? Instead of, I want this, yeah. I don't care how it impacts anybody else. You, you, you talked about your mom. It was something you didn't necessarily see coming more after the fact. Can you talk about the impact? Yeah, my mother has struggled. She's felt abandoned tremendously by this experience. Mm -hmm. So he abandoned her in a way. Yes, we knew he was going to die eventually. But the choice to make it the way he did, she had more abandonment feelings, I think, than Mm -hmm. it would be if he would have had the natural cause to the natural path to his death. That's my belief. So less less control over the exact timing and whatnot. 
And if it was just forced on him, she could maybe wrestle with that a little easier, perhaps. Potentially, yes. But I think there was some abandonment, right? And the one thing I talked to my daughter this week, the one image that we all have in our minds still is my dad had built this big gazebo and my mom and my dad sitting the last night before he died together on this couch uh, in the gazebo as kind of a last connecting moment Mm -hmm. that they had. And that's really imprinted in my brain as well, right? Mm-hmm. Just the sadness that my mother must have felt because she didn't really show it that well, she right? My mother is not really good expressing her emotions. And, and, but I, you know, I've seen her in the last seven years and I think there's still struggle with wow. the abandonment wow. that she felt from the decision that was made. You know, it's funny um, when we were chatting about that, like that kind of caught me off guard. I hadn't really saw that anger, that challenge. And I was chatting with um, Rachel, who's a part of our community. Um, she wrote me a note, and interesting enough, she, so I'll just read this note. She said, I attended an amazing celebration of life recently. A friend of mine passed away through MAID on Thanksgiving Monday, so just recently. She said, it made me realize the complexity it can leave for family and friends who take comfort that their loved one has had their wishes met. But are dealing with the grief and the sorrow at letting go. In this particular story, she said, when Wilf was still able to walk along the beach, play a killer game of Scrabble, make special brownies. I think I knew what she was getting at <laughs> I know about that part too. <laughs> to make special brownies and to feed his beloved birds every day. She said, it was just a mind cluster for them to wrestle with the fact that here's, here's wealth. It's, he's like, he's here, he's talking to us, we're playing games, we're having fun, and tomorrow he's gone. And the grief, she said she was watching it at that funeral. It's like they had the opportunity to say their goodbyes. Mm-hmm. They had all that, and yet still there was this, holy crap, we were just having these good times and now gone. Mm-hmm complication it's there. complicated it's it's very complicated one item i may want to ask i did ask to but talk to my niece this week and she feels now looking back because she's 22 now i think 21 or 22 she actually wished she would have been there in the moment and and i think you know angela and i have talked about this a lot there's important learnings to know how people die Right? How do we learn how to how to right. die in life right. after life? It's not by you know watching movies. It's by experiencing experiencing that. And and I think from talking to her, she regrets. And I think my nephew the same thing. They wow. regret that they were taken away from that moment huh. to experience their grandfather dying. Huh. Wow. Yeah, these are not things that you sit around the table talking through, right? And, 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 you know, this is new. In Netherlands, it's been around it's for been a around while. It's been around for a while, yes. They're, they're ahead of the game um, in this regard. So it maybe is more culturally uh, accepted, understood. There's a lot more conversations going on there than we're, it's really still new here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great that you and your family are talking through these kinds and of... And to be honest... This was the first time in seven years I talked to any of my family about the wow. event itself. Wow. To actually go back because we were doing, and, and you and I talked, and it brought things back up. Actually, I feel it right now, too. It's brought stuff yeah. back up to go, 
holy cow, that yeah. was hard. Yeah. And and so I talked to my daughter and my wife and my sister, my, my sister's kids, and yeah, it's just to get a different perspective seven years later. Mm-hmm. And it's still, I think, hurting the whole idea. Yeah. Uh, and I think for my dad, it was the right thing. I really believe it was the right thing for him. Yeah. Because he would have struggled more if he would have had to go through this longer than he already did. So, so perhaps, you know, hearing your conflicting views around it, perhaps there would have been a way for him to have been a little bit more sensitive to those around him in terms of timing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, culturally and personnel, all those things are complexities that each family will have to wrestle through, but mm-hmm. perhaps there would have been a way for him to say goodbye to his family, to finish well with your mom, mm-hmm. and to help her understand maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty. But, you know, when I hear you saying you believed it was the right thing for him, just maybe the circumstances weren't great. Mm-hmm. Had you watched that play out differently maybe even your feelings toward it for yourself. Maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe, I'm, I don't yeah, know. We, we don't get to yeah. that place until you're, you, you are in yeah, incredible true. pain and, and struggling. Maybe you make a different decision, yeah. but right now I look at it, what's the impact around to the people around me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marco, I'm so grateful that you were willing to tell your story this morning. Could we just show him our appreciation? Appreciate it, man. Thank you. I, uh, I, you know, I want to um, just share a couple things that I think are little complications, not little, actually, um, to the wider conversation of, of made. Because in some cases, it seems pretty obvious. When you have unbearable pain and suffering going in, you got a disease that's taking a person out quickly. Like in your dad's case, the death was coming on the runway, which is why they were able to expedite that mm-hmm. likely as quickly. Yep. This wasn't him just popping it on the doctors all of a sudden and them going, oh, well, let's make this happen Tuesday. Yeah. Well, we was, could see him deteriorate, right? That, sure. that was definitely And they were, they were prepared for that. But in other scenarios, there are, I mean, made is being considered in a number of different ways that now people are going, whoa, wait, that kind of situation could qualify, or this one? In March of 2024, so only a few months away, the Canadian government is widening the criteria for MAID so that those who are suffering solely by mental illness will gain access. So we'll be only one of a few countries that are offering that. Netherlands have done this. Um, Belgium, there's a, there's a few, Switzerland, um, so basically people who are suffering from, say, depression, deep depression, schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, and some other mental illnesses will qualify. They don't need another condition, a physical condition on top of that. This has caused a lot of concern, a lot of questions, like how can the doctors and nurse practitioners who assess a patient's suitability for MAID, how can they determine whether that psychiatric condition is irremediable? In other words, it can't get fixed. Because that's been one of the criteria. If you've got a disease that cannot be fixed, well then, 
But psychiatrists are weighing in. They're going, it's really difficult to accurately predict which mental disorders and illnesses can't be reversed. Some can be. So how are we deciding that? Let me, you know, I'd be curious. They, They polled a bunch of people on some quiet, and I'm just, hey, there's no right or wrong answer, right? It's just an opinion poll here. Let me just ask you this, just show of hands. Should MAID be available for a person with severe depression? How many would say yes? Okay. So of the poll, 16% agreed on this big Ipsos Ipsos read poll. Um, Let me ask you this. MAID for a person with severe anxiety, severe anxiety, just unrelenting anxiety, how many? 22% 22% agreed with that. Um, how about made for a person who has no hope for the future and finds no meaning in their life? They are in the dark. How many would feel that way about them? 24%. One out of almost four people agreed with that in this poll. One last one. Should a Canadian Armed Forces member seeking MAID due to suffering from PTSD, should they qualify for their made. How many would say yes? Okay. 23% agreed with this. So you got a lot of people feeling a lot of different things about this. You, obviously there's a percentage of people that are going, if we can't turn that ship around, they're going to end their life over there. Isn't there some intervention? I get that. It's tricky, isn't it? I mean, people are wondering, could this open the floodgates? for people who are just going through a dark time, a dark season in life, to just say, sign me up, I want off. Some experts believe that the number of made deaths could skyrocket, and yet others would say, hold on, this exact same law allowing for made for mental illness has been already in place in the Netherlands for a number of years now. Let's look at the stats there they found that in, um, in some European countries where it's been granted, uh, Netherlands, for example, only 1.4% of the made deaths are from mental illness candidates, 1.4%. In fact, 5% of the requests by persons with mental illness are actually granted made in the Netherlands the vast majority are turned down. So that's, that's important information to know. Because I don't know about you, but right now, I, I, I've been watching for the stories, the news cycles. I've been reading a ton, talking with different people. And man, I'm telling you, there's some people that are banging alarms saying, this thing is going to lead to massive amounts of people suffering from mental illness to do this. And I'm just based on my research I haven't seen that. And there are safeguards. There's a 90-day waiting period between requesting and accessing made in Canada. In addition to that, Marco mentioned, two assessments by completely independent physicians need to come in and assess the story. The levels of pain, what the window is, 
terms of life expectancy, all that's going on, and they need to come away going, yes, this person qualifies independently. Once those two independent assessments are done, then they have one more opportunity where someone from AHS would sit down and say, you have an opportunity now to opt out of this. So a third opportunity for them to say no. Obviously, these safeguards are designed to end a real impulsive decision. Again, it's just important information when the conversations are being had, perhaps around the table, with a family member, someone talking at work about this kind of thing. Now, there's one other complication. And that is, and this is, this is something that you're going to read about or hear, perhaps, and that is an increasing conversation around the most vulnerable in our society. So people that are opting for MAID because of poverty, because of extreme loneliness, um, there was one other one. It'll come to me. I was just reading about a 32-year-old disabled woman who's in the final stages of requesting medically assisted, um, medical assistance in dying. Uh, 32 years old, disabled. After seven futile years of applying for affordable housing in Toronto. This is a big story. Her name, we'll call her Denise. She's suffering from a condition known as multiple chemical sensitivity, exposure to chemicals that commonly linger in households like laundry detergent, different kinds of air fresheners. They trigger and like debilitating symptoms. This has really affected her. Her skin develops rashes. She suffers blinding headaches, causes temporary paralysis. And she's tired. She's worn out. And, and doesn't have money to pay for housing. So she's applying for this maid. Hmm. That just, I don't know where I sit with that. A recent string of reports have suggested that Canadians have opted for assisted death, at least in part because of poverty, a lack of housing, and extreme loneliness. People are saying, is this just opening the door for people for the most vulnerable to have to opt out that way? And that, so I, that was one of my questions. I went to Rachel, who's an occupational therapist in palliative care. Palliative care, so people who are nearing end of life. She's a part of a team that offers support for them. I wanted to ask her because that was one of the big stories that I was reading. People were saying this is going to be an excuse for the government to be able to just make it easy for people who are in palliative care to just opt out quickly. So I asked her, I said, they're saying that many people who are in palliative care are not well supported and this is, they will get made much easier than they'll get infrastructure and support. She vehemently disagreed. I did not know this. She's an occupational therapist, but she is a part of a team, a team of, of support workers that serve in a region of the city, and they have a number of these teams. These teams offer speech therapy, dietitians, skin and wound care experts, registered nurses, LPNs, licensed practical nurses, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, social workers, respiratory therapists, and spiritual care workers. This is a team that meet with people who are in palliative care 
doing everything they can. She said their goal is to optimize independence and the quality of life for these vulnerable people to make them reconsider made, to actually give them a reason to live. She said, this rumor that we're out there offering made quickly, she said, that has not been my experience at all. We are trying to take away every reason that they would want to do it. I said, okay, so if someone then, are, are you guys offering it? Are you guys, is it just one of the options that you're offering? She said, it comes up after we have exhausted a number of different things. And even then it's delicate. And how you bring it in is done with care and attention. Hmm, okay. She said, and if they decide, then we would refer them on to someone who will then meet with them about that. So these are, this is just data, right? When I'm having this conversation, I'm chatting with people and someone comes in hard and says, oh yeah, but did you know? Hmm, hmm, yeah, I, well, I've heard this too. And I've heard this too, that's a good point. Stories. I don't know what you do with all this information this morning. I don't know where your mind goes or what gets you thinking, what it gets you thinking about. But our hope is that as we just explore these topics, some of the complexities, we're not trying to make a case for or against. But we do know that as we dive into these things, this is not a conversation that should be fought over. It's delicate. And probably the more sensitivity we can have, the more information we can have at our fingertips, the more likely we'll sit across the table with someone and uh, exhaust it fully to the point where even if after the end of it, someone's saying, I just don't see it that way, or I feel this way, maybe we can see the complexity well enough to go, I get why you feel that way. I understand. It's our prayer. Well, we've, we've exhausted some topics, haven't we, over the last few weeks? Oh, yeah, yoy. Let's not do this for a little while, can we? <laughs> I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's challenged you in some way. May we continue as a community, as we sit around the tables, even leading into Christmas, to have some wonderful, beautiful disagreements. It's our prayer for you.